Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Again, good morning. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I can see those who celebrated Bermuda New Year and got to bed a little early last night. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Would you make my words and the meditation of all of our hearts pleasing in your sight this morning? O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as we've noted, uh, we're in Christmas tide or Christmas season, the 12 days of Christmas, as it's otherwise known. Today, the eighth day, because the incarnation, Emmanuel with us, one day is not enough to celebrate. And so we set aside 12. We enjoyed all the way back during the Advent season, the nostalgia of the nativity, baby in a manger, cattle lowing. Shepherds, angels, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Now, I don't know if that was altogether true, but it captures even non-believers' imaginations. I have a friend whose friend is agnostic, and this friend reads the Christmas story every Christmas, but he does so in the bathroom so that his atheist wife doesn't know about it. Christmas tide. You may also think it's movie tide, movie season, James Cameron tide, Avatar 2 being released almost on the same day as the 25th anniversary of his blockbuster Titanic, Jack and Rose. 
and that third leading character, the heart of the ocean, the blue diamond. Now, a Hollywood fiction, yes, but based upon a true blue rare diamond, the Hope Diamond, the world's largest, a 45-plus carat diamond that's worth today as much as $350 million. You can go and visit it at the Smithsonian Museum of History uh, there in Washington, D.C. I did that back when I was a teenager on a family trip, and I've checked. The display is still the same. It's not on the side of the room like everything else. It's, on its, in its own display case in the middle of the room with four sides so that you can walk around it to truly appreciate its beauty, brilliance, and wonder. Kind of like our four gospels. We don't have just one. We need four so that we can see the various perspectives of the jewel Jesus. In John chapter 1, he says, Jesus is the light of men shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He goes on to say, the true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. And John ends his gospel by saying this, there were many other things Jesus did. If all of them were written in books, I suppose the world itself could not contain them all. In other words, the Holy Spirit, through the gospel writers, chose what to include and what not to include for our benefit to show us who God is, who we are, and what he wants for us. Matthew chapter 2, our gospel reading, is the only place where it tells of the three wise men who follow a star to find and worship the light shining in the darkness. Only Matthew goes on to interrupt the heavenly glow of the nativity with demonic darkness of Herod's infanticide. There's no Andy Williams or Bing Crosby song sung about our passage for this morning. I can tell you that. Matthew says this tragedy fulfills the Rachel passage, verse 18. This harkens back, refers to Genesis 35. You you know Rachel. She was the wife of Jacob, who was renamed Israel, who had the 12 sons, who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And Rachel dies giving birth to the last of the 12, Benjamin, while on the road from Bethel to Bethlehem. 1 Samuel indicates she was buried in the vicinity of Ramah. Jeremiah, generations later, the prophet portrays Rachel as representing all Israel, weeping from her grave because Israel's children are being taken into exile near where she was buried. But Matthew, too, he, in, with this backdrop, he reinterprets that picture of Rachel weeping. She's weeping over the horrific infanticide in Bethlehem and the vicinity after Herod is outwitted by the wise men. Ancient census estimates mean probably 20 to 30 baby boys he slaughtered. We just sang joy to the earth, the savior reigns. Well, not yet on earth as now in heaven, then and now. 
So we need to ask ourselves with this dark passage within the otherwise calm Christmas story with all sorts of warm fuzzies and cozy feelings, why does Matthew include this? How does it help us live by faith between the first advent and second advent, Jesus's first and second coming? To find that answer, we need to see Jesus as he is. He is, Matthew shows us here, a threat, a surprise, and inspiration. Our three points for this morning. First, the threat of Jesus. He's a threat to the status quo. He reveals, he exposes the spiritual battle of the life we live in. He is a threat because of his claims and because of our hearts. His claims, Matthew chapter one, the passage before ours this morning, Herod the Great is in his Jerusalem palace. And the Magi come and they say, where is he who's born king of the Jews? Well, that's certainly a threat if you are Herod ruling on your throne and you're considered the king of the Jews. Before Jesus can even speak, kings are speaking for him. But even more so, Jesus is a threat. He's offensive when he grows up and makes claims himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the resurrection and the life. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus claims sovereignty over you and me with authority that demands allegiance. In his book, Basic Christianity, John Stott says this, If you read the Bible, you'll see that nobody who ever met Jesus Christ ever had a moderate reaction to him. There were only three reactions. They either hated him and wanted to kill him. They were afraid of him and wanted to run away. Or they were absolutely smitten with him and they tried to give their whole lives to him. Unquote. In other words, given Jesus's claims, no other responses have intellectual integrity than these three responses. And that begs the question for us this morning, what about you? Are you just moderate towards Jesus? If you're not smitten with him to give your whole life to him, and if you don't hate him, have you really met Jesus? And remember what we said all through Advent. Yes, there's the first and second coming of Christ, but there's also a third coming of Christ. It's every day, every moment for us Christians as his spirit comes to us and alivens our lives and hearts and minds and gives us a refreshed coming. And so the question for all of us, do you need to meet or re-meet Jesus afresh today? Yes, Jesus is a threat because of his claims, but also because of our hearts. Each of us, if we're honest, we have what you might call a little King Herod in the throne room of our heart, the palace of our life, and it wants to rule. At least that's our natural bent 
says Romans 8, to be, as Henley's Invictus poem says, the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. Little Herod says, it's my life to do with as I please. But God says to all who would receive him, child, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price, the life of my own son. So follow me. I know what you need because I designed you. Let me lead you because I love you with an everlasting love. So Christians, we need to be honest about the vestiges of Herod that show up in hostility, even residual anger towards God's authority, like a a ghost from the past, so to speak, saying things like, well, I'll never do that again. And then days later, I do. As Paul says in Romans 7, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. God answers our prayer. And then a week later, we forget that he has. John Newton said, all it takes to destroy my prayer life is the buzzing of a fly. Sin distracts us. It weakens us and can make it hard for us to pray or obey or be accountable. Christianity is not a waltz. It's a battle with our own hearts. You'll never be any kind of Christian unless you're willing to fight the battle, to make Jesus the center of your heart and life. And so, Christians, for us in 2023, are you ready and willing to do battle, to fight? And for maybe some of us here this morning who are unconvinced, you're just checking out the faith. You may even be skeptical of the Christian life. Don't think you can be objective about God. You can't. Here we're helped by the honesty of Aldous Huxley, the 20th century British author of Brave New World. When he was in college, he said, quote, I had motive for not wanting the world to have meaning, have meaning. In other words, I wanted atheism to be true. I didn't want there to be a God is, is my paraphrase. But he goes on to say, for myself, The philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, unquote. In other words, he's saying, I wanted life to be meaningless with no one to be accountable to because then I could do whatever I want. Knowing that if the Bible is true, you'll lose control of your life, then you can't be objective about it. Question your doubts if you are unconvinced. Yes, Jesus is a threat. As Mr. Beaver says in the Chronicles of Narnia about the lion Aslan, he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And so too is Jesus. He's very good because his threat is to change us while loving us right where we are to change our transgressions of his way into transformation, into greater and greater Christ-likeness. 
for our benefit. Walking in step with how he's designed us and his world is regardless of our feelings or self-perceptions, it's for our blessing, our benefit. So yes, Jesus is a threat, but also the surprise of Jesus. He's surprisingly paid a great price, the surprising cost. Yes, we probably have known before Matthew 2 of the poverty of Jesus, from riches of heaven to a cattle trough. But we see here also Jesus willing to become a refugee, fleeing to Egypt. It was probably Alexandria in Egypt because there were about a million expatriates back then in Alexandria who were fleeing from some kind of danger. And look at how God provides. They were able to live off of the provision from the the costly gifts given to them by the Magi. And also how costly it was, Jesus became relatively peerless because of what we see here in Matthew 2. Ancient Israel scholars and archaeologists believe that Nazareth, Nazareth was a satellite community of families from Bethlehem. And so the slaughter of all the boys Jesus' age meant he lost probably half of his childhood friends and family his age. Costly, surprisingly so. And then there's Nazareth. How unexpected should the Messiah come from Nazareth? Nowhere was Nazareth. It was full of what were considered backwater people. Hicks from the sticks. Nazareth, Nazareth was looked down upon by everybody. The, the Judeans in the south looked down upon the Galileans in the north and the Galileans and everybody looked down upon Nazareth. In fact, Nathaniel in John chapter 1, when it's proposed to him that this might be the Messiah, they said, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? For us, in our language, it might be, we consider D.C. and New York and L.A. the centers of politics and finance and culture, not Quail, Texas, up in the panhandle, population 19. That's not where movers and shakers come from. But God works through the unexpected of this world, not the way the world thinks things should be done. His economy is upside down. It's counterintuitive. God brings blessing and salvation that's unexpected and surprising. He does that all the way through the Old Testament. Consider the unexpected of the secondborn instead of the first. Abel, not Cain. Isaac, not Ishmael. Jacob, not Esau. Or the youngest, David, instead of all of his older brothers. Or old Sarah, not young, fertile Hagar. Or infertile Rebecca, Hannah, Samson's mother. Or John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth. Or not the beautiful Rachel, who gave birth to 10 of the 12 sons, but homely Leah, who gave birth, including to Judah, from where the lion of the tribe of Judah comes, the Lord Jesus. 
It begs the question for us this morning in Matthew chapter 2, how is your life in Nazareth? Are you believing the lie that God can't bless you and bless through you from where you are, from the circumstances of your life this morning? For example, are the finances not enough? Have you had a financial reversal or maybe a reversal of health or maybe broken relationship that might not ever mend? Whatever it might be, is it a Nazareth for you? Every other religion says, here's what you do to be saved. It's up to you. But Jesus says, you can't save yourself. Only he can on the cross. And he says, it is finished. He has sent his Holy Spirit and the church to be your helper in whatever endeavor he calls you to. Matthew chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 says this. Joseph Joseph took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through Hosea the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Before Matthew chapter 2, the son there was considered to be Israel, coming out of the exodus, out of Egypt. But Israel was never faithful in the Exodus, never faithful to God's calling. And so Matthew 2 and all of Jesus's life in the Gospels reveal to us that Jesus is the one true faithful Israel who's earned our salvation for us. Yes, unexpected, surprising, but also an inspiration the inspiration of Jesus. He inspires us and brings to us hope and courage. We can't turn away or run away from the suffering of the world. It's part of the story. It's why God had to come down, why he has come down. Matthew shows us Jesus Christ loved you enough to become a refugee fleeing for his life, not to save his skin, but to save yours and mine. As my friend Fleming Rutledge says, the nativity story might as well be about reindeer and snowmen if it has nothing to say about the darkness of this world. By putting Rachel's lament at the heart of the Christmas story, Matthew shows us how to hold on to faith and hope until the second coming. Unquote. Like Joseph, by faith, we are to persevere in following God's word, whether written or by an angel, wherever it leads us. This fallen world will always have Herods, so we need to expect them. Did you see before Christmas the story of Isabel Vaughn Spruce? She's a British woman who was arrested in the UK for admitting that she might have been praying silently in her head while standing on a public street outside an abortion clinic. Yes, another Herod. But Jesus's life shows us he has overcome the world. He's won the victory over sin and death, the ultimate Herod. Angels and Herods will not coexist forever. And that 
is our hope. That is our sure and certain promise. The week before Christmas, our family had the opportunity to trust in this victory when quite unexpectedly, my mother-in-law Carolyn went home to be with the Lord as we've already prayed about and we thank you for your prayers. Yes, we grieve. A difficult time in the calendar to grieve. We grieve deeply, but we grieve with hope. Whether in utero or two or 89, we're not designed for death. It's not what's supposed to be. Hebrews chapter two, our passage from Hebrews says, God made the pioneer of our salvation perfect through what Jesus suffered. He shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of death and free us from its fear and slavery. That's inspiration, the inspiration of Christ. Yes, there's darkness, but the light of Christ shines in it to encourage and inspire us. Carolyn's faith in Christ is made sight and we will be together again with him. And until then, Christ has left the presence of his Holy Spirit to cheer and to guide. And we desperately need it, don't we? Matthew chapter five, a few chapters later, Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. What a surprise. The light that shines in the darkness is saying, you followers of mine are the light of the world. His light in the darkness enables us to believe the savior reigns even now so that we can stand in faith and tenacity against life's Herods, internal and external, especially for those who are helpless and vulnerable. By his life, And Holy Spirit, Jesus directs and empowers us to persevere in our sufferings as instruments in his hands, in tune with Isaac Watts' lyrics from the hymn we sang earlier. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. May we be, in his Holy Spirit power, instruments of his blessings in 2023 as far as the curse is found. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Christ, we thank you that you are the light who shines in the darkness. Help us to let your light shine through us as you call us to do. Enable us to persevere in our sufferings and face the Herods of this world with courage, faith, and hope in you. We pray in your strong and precious name. Amen.